Hello, my name is Jordan Tardo, and I'm the lead pastor at Experience Church. I'd like to take a moment and just say thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast today. I hope this message blesses you. I hope it encourages you. I hope it strengthens you for what God has called you to today. In this series called 10, and again, we've been talking about the 10 qualities of a disciple. We get the text for the whole series in uh, Matthew chapter 28 in verse 19. It says, go and therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says, teaching them uh, to obey every command I have, uh, a command I, uh, that I have commanded you, excuse me, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And so this is Jesus speaking. He says, hey, I want you to go and make disciples. And it's showing us the importance of discipleship and the importance of being a disciple of Christ. And uh, we've been talking about the difference really from a believer and a disciple. And when we start, I always say this, it starts, our walk with God starts with believing. You can't believe, you can't be a disciple without believing. And so when we're talking about going from being a believer to a disciple and the difference of that, we're not saying being a believer is bad. It starts with being a believer. The Bible says if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Christ was raised from the dead, the Bible says we are saved. It starts with believing. The Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. So we, we start with belief, but then the Bible also talks about throughout the scripture how we take our belief and then it's time to now walk out our belief. It doesn't just stay as a belief. Now it's up for, to us to walk out our salvation. James talks about faith without works is dead. So it's not works that gets us saved. It's not works that gets us to earn grace. It's not works that gets us to deserve grace and deserve salvation. No, that's believing in him, receiving salvation. It's a free gift. But then from receiving that now, we want to turn and we want to walk out the way God has called us to live. And this is what being a disciple is. And so we've been talking about for the last few weeks, different qualities of what we see in the scripture a disciple is. There are way more than 10. We're just doing 10, uh, but and every one that we've given, they're not in order, so it's not one's more important than the other. We're just showing you different ones that we believe are important as, as, as healthy disciples of Christ, the qualities of those people. Today, I want to talk to you about being a student of the Word. A quality of a disciple is one who is a student of God's Word, a student of God's Word. John chapter 8, in verse 31, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my, you are truly my, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A lot of times you'll hear people quote the end of this text where they say, You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's great. That's true. But if we go just as hair before that, a step earlier, in the same text, in the same scripture, Jesus says, hey, if you abide in my scripture, and if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And so it shows us the importance of being a student of his word. And so it says in the scripture that we have to abide. We have to be in the word. I know a lot of people that are around God's word, that are around teachings of the Bible, but aren't in their Bibles. 
It's like if you go to a pool party. I don't know if you've ever been to a pool party. You probably have. You know, you got all different types of people at a pool party. You got people, you know, just dressed in however they want to dress. You know what I'm saying? They show, you show up and fellas, it's guns, it's uh, sun's out, guns out. You know what I'm saying? You're trying to swole up. You know what I'm saying? Chest is out a little bit. Ladies, it's skies out, thighs out. You know what I'm talking about? That's a little strange, but it's okay. You know what I'm saying? I'm just telling you the truth. Don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you the truth. So it's, here's what happens. You got all these different people. You got some people in the pool. They're swimming around. You got some people out of the pool. You got some people sitting by the pool and they have their feet in the pool. You have some people that are around the pool that maybe they're being splashed by the pool, people in the pool. Then you have people that aren't even dressed for the pool. All different types of people. It's so interesting because this is a lot of times how it is with God's word. You have people that are in the pool. You have people that are in God's word, people that are students of his word. Then you have people that are kind of got their feet in the pool, but they're sitting out. People that maybe will go to church. They'll hurt here and they'll learn about God's word, but they're not necessarily in the word and studying the word for themselves. Then you have people that are out of the pool. They're just clueless on what's going on. And then you have people maybe splashed by the word. People that maybe they hear about God's word from their friends or they go to a small group. And then you have the ones that aren't even dressed for the occasion. And you're like, oh, you know what? I don't want to get in the pool because then I'll get wet and I'll have to go and change. It's interesting because this is how oftentimes we are with the scripture. We won't study the word and be a student of the word because we know the word will challenge us and it'll cause us to want to change or need to change. It'll challenge our lifestyle, and so we don't want to change, and so we won't ever truly be students of the word. This is why Jesus says, if you abide in my word, it's not just being around. Being around's great. Being around should be a taste, a test, not a test, but a taste of us to want to, want to get us to desire to be in his word. The people in the pool, the ones that are in the pool, and they're just living life large. That's what we are to do as we are to be students of God's word if we desire to truly be disciples of Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter four and verse 12, for the word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit. It joint, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. For the word of God is alive. The word of God is alive and active for the word of God. I wrote this down. If you're taking notes, disciples believe the Bible is the word of God. Disciples believe the, the Bible is the word, the very words of God. It says for the word of God. Then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, and we also thank God continually because you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, as the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Second Timothy chapter three and verse 16, it says, all scripture is God breathed. Other translations say God inspired. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In order to be in God's word and for us to desire to be in God's word, we have to first believe and know that it is God, the Bible is God's word. 
It's his words that were written to you and I. And there's so many uh, different lies in our culture about, oh, it's just another book. And oh, it's not relevant to our day and age. Oh, that was for like the biblical times and their lifestyles were different than our lifestyles. But it's interesting because the book was written over 2000 years ago. And yet still to this day, it is so relevant to not just our culture, but to our own lives. Why? Because it is the very words of God. And we have to know that it is the words of God because if not, here's what's gonna happen. Then we're just gonna read it as just another book. Then we're just gonna read it as just history. We're just gonna read it as, oh, it's just, it's just something that, that, some, that Christians do and that we're supposed to do to be a good Christian. No, the very, if we understand it, it is actually the very words of God. It will cause us to desire, not out of obligation to read it, but out of desire to read it because we know it's his very words for our lives. Direction, fulfillment satisfaction, freedom, everything that we need on this planet to know about God and to know God and to walk with God and to be more like God is literally in the scripture. We have to know it's his script, it's his word. I have a picture that I want to show you just to help you with a concept of what uh, the, the different words of God, the word of God is. This right here is a text. You can find this online, but this is a text uh, someone came up with. And this this right here, this bottom white, if you can't see it in the back, there's white lines like a graph at the bottom. That's every chapter of the Bible, okay? And so if you see that one really long line, that's obviously Psalm 119, so long as book in the Bible. So every chapter in the scripture. Now, every line above that, all the colored lines, if you can't see it in the back, there's all different colored lines. And the purpose of that is it's showing you cross-references of when the Bible talks about the Bible. So if you see a connection point, so if you see the very top, the, all the darker orange and yellow and even green, those are scriptures that are talked about in the Old Testament at the very beginning of time and even mentioned again in the, in, the, in the New Testament, the furthest distance apart. But then you'll see some that are darker in between the blues and purples. That's ones that are relevant. Uh, talking, referencing ones that may be a little closer in the scripture. This is, this is cross-references in what the Bible talks about uh, when the Bible talks about the Bible again. That being said, so interesting that there are over 63,000 cross-references in the Bible. 63,000. Let me explain. The Bible was written in a, in a span of over 1,500 years. It was written by over 40 men. And not only that, it, it was written in three different languages. And yet it's so interesting if we saw this and we saw that we said one human wrote this and one year, we would be like, this person is an absolute genius that they could take 63 different scriptures and cross-reference them to talk about each other to bring about this incredible masterpiece. If one person did it in one year, we would be like, dude, that is the most incredible thing of all time. Well, here's the most, even more incredible thing. It was written in over a hundred, in the span of over 1,500 years, and it was written by over 40 men in different languages, and yet it all still intertwines and connects. Why? Because it's a picture of us understanding and knowing. Only God could do this. Only God could bring this together. And so it shows us the picture of the importance of knowing it's God's word. All throughout the scripture, there is proof, proof that it is God's word. 
Jesus, he came, and the Bible says that he fulfilled prophecies. Prophecies are, were, were, were things that were said in the Old Testament about the Messiah and when the Messiah would come and what he would do. I wanna tell you just eight of those prophecies that were talked about in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. Check this out. Uh, it says in Micah chapter five and verse two that he would be born in Bethlehem, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, Okay. Then in Isaiah chapter seven and verse 14, it says that he would be born of a virgin, okay? It says that he would come from the tribe of Judah in Genesis chapter 49. Then it says he would, he would flee to Egypt. We see that in Hosea chapter one. It says he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. We see that in Zechariah 11. He would be crucified. We see that in Psalms chapter 22. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. We see that in Isaiah 53. He would, be, he would ascend to the right hand of the Father. We see that in Psalms chapter 68. So these are just eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that were in the Old Testament. Thousands of years before were written about a man that would be come down as the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and he would fulfill these prophecies that Jesus did. Now, let me tell you the odds of one man fulfilling these prophecies. They say for Jesus, one man to fulfill eight prophecies, it would be one to, to one, it would be in, excuse me, excuse me, it would be one in 10 to the 17th power. It'd be one in 10 to the 17th power. If you don't know what that is, if you're not good at numbers, that is one and then 17 zeros, Okay. It'd be the chances of one person and one in 17 zeros fulfilling if they just fulfilled eight. Let me give you a better example for us to be able to understand. The odds of one man fulfilling eight prophecies. It would be like if you had a golf ball. If you took that golf ball and you went to Texas and you, that, and you filled Texas up, somebody filled the entire state of Texas with golf balls, two feet deep. And then you had one golf ball and you colored that golf ball, and then you went wherever you want in Texas, and you threw that golf ball, you put it deep, wherever you wanted to put it, it would be like, this is the odds of, of one man fulfilling eight prophecies. You would take that golf ball, and you'd put it anywhere you want, and then you would take one of your friends, you would blindfold them, you would send them to Texas, wherever they want to go, you drop them off, let them roam around as long as they want, and then they, they would go down in one grab, and all the whole state of Texas, they would go down two feet deep, the one grab that they would grab would come up, and that golf ball would be the golf ball that you colored. That would be the odds of one man fulfilling eight prophecies in the Old Testament. Jesus not only, check this out, he not only fulfilled eight prophecies, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. It's impossible. Why am I telling you this? Because I'm telling you this so that you can be secure and know this is truly God's word, that this man would come and he would fulfill from the New Testament, thousands of years later, things that were talked about in the Old Testament to show you and to prove to us that one, he is real, but then not only is he real, that the word is true and the word is something that we can rely on, stand on, and continue to, to walk in as we continue to grow together. We abide in his word. The only way we can truly abide in his word and be a student of the word is if we really truly know that it is his word. You may have questions about the Bible. You may, uh, maybe you have some things in the scripture where you're like, oh, these don't add up. I would love to uh, encourage you to read a book if you, if you are one of those people. Uh, the book is called, I wanna give you the right name just so I don't mess it up. The book is called Why I Trust the Bible. 
Why I Trust the Bible. And it's by William D. Mounts. William D. Mounts, it's called Why I Trust the Bible. He's one of the, he's one of the translators. He's a theologian. He's one of the translators that helped translate into the NIV Bible, okay? And so it's an incredible book. It's, it's, it's something you have to really pay attention to. It's not one of those just, you know, you just sit back and just let's just chill and read this book, but it's an incredible book. And it really deflates and defeats all the lies that the culture brings about the Bible not being true. And so if you, if you have time to study it, I would encourage everybody to read it. If you have time to study it, look it up, buy it, purchase it, you know, and I would tell you that it would really, it would really set you in stone. If you're kind of struggling, like, is the Bible real or not? If the Bible really God's word, it will really help you understand and know, okay, there's no shadow of a doubt the Bible is God's word. So it's an incredible resource that you can read. But we have to know if we're really going to be in his word, we have to know that his word is, the Bible is his word. Believers, Hebrews chapter 4, excuse me, verse 12. The word of God is alive and it's active. It's alive and it's active. I wrote this down. Believers read the word to be informed. Disciples read the word to be transformed. It's alive and it's active. The Bible is not just to give us information about who God is. The Bible is meant to give us information to then help us to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. A lot of times people will read the scripture for knowledge. And that's great. You can have knowledge, but if it stops with head knowledge, the purpose of the Bible is does not is it's it's pointless. It goes void. Why? Because the Bible was not meant to give us uh, to puff up our our brains and puff up our minds and give us head knowledge so that we could just quote a bunch of scriptures. Quoting scripture is huge. It's so important. But that's not necessarily the the purpose. The purpose is for it to us to it, for it to get into our hearts to transform us to then help us shift our decision-making to then get us to change the course and the direction of our lives. The word is alive and active. It's meant to speak to us about us. As you study the word, it's not just so that I can know more, so that I can quote it to somebody else, so that I can look like a good Christian. No, I, I, I study the word so that God can really allow it to transform me so that I can continue to live the way God has called me and created me to live. John chapter 17 and verse 17, it says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. Sanctify this concept of us being transformed to be sanctification, changing who we are from the inside out to be more like Christ. The question we have to ask ourselves when we, when we look at the word, when we read the word, when we, when we study the word is, do I really believe that living by the word of God will give me a richer, deeper, more fulfilling life. Do I really believe that the Bible, the very thing that we, uh, we have, that we read, do I really believe that it's gonna help me and give me a richer, not richer like, like money, I'm talking about richer like a relationship with God, a richer, deeper, more fulfilling life on this planet? Because if we do believe that, it's easy to read the word. It changes from obligation to desire because we realize as I dive into this and as I study this, it's not a have to. No, it's I get to. Why? Because as I study this, my life is being transformed into a greater life because Christ is literally speaking to me off those pages. James chapter one and verse 22, but be doers of the word, not just hearers. Deceiving yourselves for if anyone is hearing 
Uh, he's a hearer of the word and now not a doer. He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, but he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. James talks about not being just hearers, but doers. And he says, if somebody is gonna hear the word and just forget it and walk away and not apply it, he says, it's like somebody goes in front of a mirror. Y'all know, everybody, when you wake up, one of the first things you do is you get in front of a mirror. Sometimes you scare yourself. You look at yourself and you're like, oh Lord, help me today. Where, why, where are these, ba- how are these bags all of a sudden all here? You know what I'm saying? You're like, ooh, I need a little extra makeup today. Come on, ladies, you know what I'm saying? Fellas, you're like, man, I hope the soap really does scrub off half my face. Come on. It would be like looking in the mirror and then you're like, oh, I'm good. And you see these different flaws. You see these different things that need to be shifted or changed. And you're like, oh, I'm good. And then you walk away for the rest of the day and you're like, it is what it is. And then you walk in and work and your face be all kind of distorted. Your hair is everywhere. And you're like, oh, no, I'm good. And people are like, what in the wrong world is wrong with these people? Did they not look in the... It's the same thing as Christians as we study the word. If we just look at the scripture and we just come to church and hear the scripture and then we don't apply it to our lives, it would be like, what in the world is going on? These people, they see that there's thing in their, things in their lives and their hearts that need to be shifted, but because of their head knowledge, they think, oh no, we're just good. And so then we're like, what in the world going on with these Christians? Because the Bible was not meant to just give us head knowledge. It was meant to transform us from the inside out. And when we know that the word is truly God's word, and we know that, and we really believe that the word will give us a rich, satisfying, fulfilled, deeper relationship with God and a better, greater life on this planet with him, then we would easily dive in and say, I desire to know more on what God says. It's vital that we understand this. Hebrews chapter four and verse 12. It says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Ephesians chapter six and verse 17 says this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Says the Bible says that the word is a two-edged sword. Then it says, and as, as Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he's talking about the armor of God. Do you know the only weapon in the armor of the God of God that he talks about is the sword, which is the word of God. The word of God is a weapon that God has given us for this planet. I wrote this down. Disciples, excuse me, believers use the word against others. Disciples use the word against the enemy. Believers use the word against others. Disciples use the word against the enemy. It's a weapon that we use against the enemy. Let me explain, show it to you. Matthew chapter four, as Jesus was in the, in the wilderness. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will, he will command his angels concerning you that they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus then answered, it is also written. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high, very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. 
all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus then said this a third time, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil then left him and the angels came and attended to him. It's interesting. Jesus is the son of God. He could have called down legions of angels to, to, to remove the devil from his presence. But all Jesus did to defeat temptation and to defeat the lies of the enemy was, was quote scripture. The importance and the power of God's word in your life and quoting it and speaking it and hearing it is so vital as a weapon for you and the struggles that we face on this planet. We all face struggles. And in fact, it's so interesting because oftentimes we'll pray and ask God to remove the struggles. God, remove this lust. Or God, remove this depression. Or God, remove this anxiety. Or God, remove uh, this anger. Or God, remove this bitterness. We'll, we'll pray and ask God to remove it. And that's great. You can pray and ask. But it's interesting. Jesus didn't take time and pray and say, okay, let me seek God. Let me pray God and ask God to remove you from my life. No, he just said, let me quote scripture. Why? Because the enemy cannot stand up against scripture. It is the sword that def defeats him every time. And so some of us, we're, we're trying to pray the, 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 the struggles away when all God is doing is saying, I'm already here to help you. I've already given you the tools. I've already given you the weapon. I just want you to get up and use it. The power of his word. And it's interesting that Jesus, when he was walking in the wilderness and he had been fasting for 40 days. Now, some of us, me included, if I would have been fasting for four hours, I would have been awful hangry. Some of y'all, you know what I'm saying? You can't skip one meal. This brother went 40 days. It's interesting that when the enemy comes and tempts him, he doesn't say, hold up, hold up, time out, time out, time out. Okay, I understand, I understand that you're saying these things. Let me go get the scrolls and let me pull out the scrolls and let me see what the Bible says. Okay, let me get the scrolls. Let me read the scrolls. Oh, this is what was written. No, Jesus literally just said, he was tempted, it's written. What does that show me? It shows us as Christians, if we're really gonna be people that are true disciples of Christ, it's important to understand this concept that we need to know the word before we need the word. We need to know the word before we need the word. Don't wait until you're in your moment of heat of anger to be like, oh, let me Google what the Bible says about anger. When you're in the heat of moment of lust, don't wait until you're in the heat of the moment to say, oh, let me see what the Bible says about lust. No, y'all know when we are in the heat of the moment or whatever the struggle is, the last thing we're thinking about is Googling what the Bible says. What does this show us? It shows us it's so important that we would be people that know the scripture. We read it, we study it, but we also need to memorize it. There should be verses in scripture in your heart that you know. If you struggle with a certain area in your life, I would challenge you. His word, if we really believed his word was a weapon that could defeat that struggle, we would know every scripture about that struggle. I would challenge you, if you deal with the anxiety, find scriptures that, that, that talk about how the, how, what God does to anxiety and then quote those scriptures when you start to get anxious. Why? Because it is a weapon that will defeat the enemy every single time. 
Here's the problem oftentimes what we do as, as, as Christians. We oftentimes don't use it as a weapon to, against the enemy. We use it as a weapon against each other. Oh, well, you're not, you're not supposed to say those things. Oh, well, you're not supposed to do those things. Oh, well, you're not supposed to go over there. Oh, well, the pastor said dot, dot, dot. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. Now we're using the, 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 the scripture and we're using God's word to judge others. When that's never the point at all, God's meant to use the, the scripture to judge our own hearts, for us to judge our own hearts and say, you know what? There's something going on in my heart. I need to shift, not because so-and-so is doing so-and-so. No, that I can shift and become more like Christ in my own heart, in my own life. And I wanna use it as a weapon against the enemy, not as a weapon against others. Does that make sense? Because we can get real scripture quoting when somebody's doing something we don't, we don't want them to do. We can get on to, oh, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. Well, the Bible says, well, hold up a second. What's the Bible say about you? What's the Bible say about me? This is how we are called to live, that we would know the scripture and we would use it as a weapon against the very struggles that we face. Hebrews chapter four and verse 12. But the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I wrote this down. If you're taking notes, believers filter the word. Disciples filter everything through the word. Believers filter the word. Disciples filter everything through the word. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, Preach the word, be prepared in every season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Check this out. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul's writing to Timothy, he said, there's a time that's coming. He said, I want you to know this time is where people will gather and they'll just want to hear. They'll find places and they'll find teachers that will just tell them what they want to hear to justify their lifestyle. They'll filter the word based on their own lifestyle. But the Bible says that we're not to do that. The Bible says that we're, allowed, we're supposed to use the, the word and God's word as a filter, as a lens, as glasses, if you will, as how we see all of life in our lifestyle. We're not to shape the word around our lifestyle. We're to shape our lifestyle around the word. We don't pick and choose. We don't get the privilege of picking and choosing what the Bible says, what we like and what we don't like. If we do, if we're like, oh, you know what? That one's not really for me. And we just skim through. Now we're putting a filter on the word. For young people, you know, nowadays with all these apps, you got so many different filters, you don't even look the same. You know what I'm saying? You see them on social media and see them in real life. Like that's not the same person. You got the same name, but you surely don't look alike. My team, my staff, for some reason, they wanted to have fun. They put some filters on me. Let's show you some filters. Here we go. There's my face. There it is. Uh, that's great. Appreciate you, fam. Okay, that's good. That's wonderful. Appreciate you on that one. That looks good. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's good. That, that looks real. You know what I'm saying? Okay, now hold up a second. Hold up a second. Hold up a second. Hold up a second here. That's like Jordan Beckham. Might be my new profile pic. Now, here's the thing. I'm being funny, but here's the thing. Oftentimes, as silly as this concept is with what we do with social media, we do it with the scripture. What we do is we won't change the whole scripture. We'll just shift it a little bit 
to make it look better for us so that we look a little bit better. We look like a, a we're, we model it a little bit better and we feel better about ourselves because we just shifted a little, we just skim over that one chapter. Not all the chapters, just that one chapter or those two chapters or those few. You know what? I'm just a little bit. So now I can look good and feel good about who I am. The problem is to God, here's what he sees. That's not what I really look like. I wish it was what I really look like, and my wife really probably wishes that's what I look like. But it's not. We can't allow ourselves to think and create this facade that we can, we can shift or shape the world, uh, the, the word, excuse me, about, about what we think so that we can feel good about ourselves. No, all we're doing is creating this facade of what we think, and we're really just turning into a bunch of hypocrites. I'm not trying to be mean, but it's just the truth. This is why we don't shift the word. We stand on the word. We don't take away from the word. We don't add to the word. If you go to a church, if you're just visiting and you go to a church that shifts or changes word or adds to the word, leave. If you come here and you ever hear any of us add to or take away, leave. Because that's not biblical doctrine and that's what the world, the scripture talks about Paul is looking for. At the end of times, there'll be these groups of people that just want to shift everything, filter everything so that we can look all like this. So important that we understand this. Now, you may be in a place we're talking about the word. You're like, man, I understand the word's true. I understand I really want to get more involved in reading the word. I understand disciples are to be ones that are in the word. And so how do I do it? I'm going to give you a quick few things on how to start in your word if you're at the place that you desire to do so. And these are not just for people that don't, that don't read the word. This could be people, those of us that do read the word to challenge you to dive deeper into your word. Before I do, I have to ask you this. We're talking about shaping and shifting. It's the question we have to ask ourselves. How do you personally respond? How do you personally respond when your goals, your desires, or your lifestyle conflicts with what the Bible says? The question we all have to ask ourselves is how do I respond if I really believe it's God's word? If I know that it'll give me a richer, deeper, more satisfying, fulfilled life, then I look at it and I read it. How do I respond when it contradicts my goals, my lifestyle, my dreams, my heart condition, my desires, when it contradicts or conflicts with what the Bible says, how do you personally respond? Because if we really believe it's God's word, the way that we'll respond is, okay, some things need to begin to trans be transformed in my own heart because it's not lining up with what God says. That's what a true disciple of Christ does. Let me give you five very quick things on how to start. One, study the word in church. Going to church, go to church, go to church. I know you're in church today, but there are, the statistic today is in this world, in America, the statistic is that the average Christian goes to church once a month. The average Christian goes to church once a month. Once a month. That's a very, you're hearing the word very little. It's important. I would tell you to be committed to a church. If you're not from here, no sweat. Wherever your hometown is, wherever you live, that's the, that's the you should be joining and connected and committed to a church so that you can hear the word. Join a small group. 
you're not in a small group, you should be in a small group to allow yourself to hear and to continue to grow in your word. It helps give a test, a taste, excuse me, not a test. It, help gives, it helps give us the taste, the, the Sunday morning services and, and weekly services and weekly small groups. It's all to give us a taste of God's word that, to try to get us to create a desire in our hearts that we would be committed to reading his word and being in his word daily. It wasn't meant to be the source of our word. The, the scripture church was not intended to be the source of, of just everything. It's the only time we hear God's word. No, it's, a, it's supposed to be a taste, a sample to get us to desire it, to have it and to grow in it and to read it, study it more. Does that make sense? Study it in the church. Commit to reading the Bible every day. Commit to reading it every single day. I would say this, even if it's for five minutes a day, create a habit that you create whether you're young or old, create a habit that's consistent in reading the scripture every single day, even if it's for only five minutes, even if it's only one chapter. You talk to any athletic guru and they will tell you working out for five or 10, 15 minutes a day is way better than just working out once a week for an hour. It's the same thing with this word. Create a habit in your life. I'm just talking very practical. Create a habit in your life that every day you're learning to stop, to sit, and to study his word, even if it's just for five minutes. Stop, sit, create a habit, and then what's gonna happen is it becomes a habit, then 10 minutes will become easier, then 15 minutes will become easier, then 30 minutes will become easier. But start with just five minutes, start with one chapter, whatever you wanna do, and allow yourself to begin to learn the consistency and the commitment of opening your word every day, okay? I will say this as well. If you uh, read your scripture and read your word on uh, digital platforms. I love digital pl pl platforms. We get we have a, a privilege of being able at this time in this day and age where we can just literally type any word at any time and we can scriptures come up everywhere with it. That's great. I will say this though. If you are one that desires to study your scripture and be a student of the word, I would challenge you to read your scripture on, a, on, a, on an actual page Bible that is not in a book that is not digital. Why? Two reasons why. One, we live in a world in a day and age where we are so distracted. We live in a digital world where we are so distracted where y'all know, like you, especially like you got multiple emails, you have text messages, you have all your social media platforms, you have all these things, ding, 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 ding. And then we have notification, notifications from sports apps. We have notifications from all different apps. And so you could be reading your scripture, trying to study the word, reading one chapter, you're reading it all of a sudden, ding, 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 all the time. And so then you're skipping over, you're texting back, you're coming to it, you're reading. And all this, our mind the whole time is just completely distracted. I think, let me challenge you. I didn't tell the first service this, but I'll tell you this. I think God is worth our full attention. Oh, well, you don't understand. Like, hey, I just always, I'm just so used to reading it on the phone. That's great. You can be used to it. I would challenge you to put the phone away and have an actual Bible book in your, in your hands and put the phone far away where you can't hear it and, and begin to open the Bible. One, that's one reason, distractions. The second reason, okay, I am not a doomsday preacher. I am not that guy. I do not, I'm not a doomsday preacher, but the Bible does talk about that Jesus is coming back at some point. And the Bible talks about the, the disciples ask him, Jesus, and he says there'll be signs. And he talks about these signs. You can read it through the scripture. And some of the signs we are seeing in our day and age. Now, does that mean Jesus is coming back tomorrow? I'm not saying he is. He might. 
The Bible says nobody knows. The Bible just says that we're to be prepared for when Jesus comes back, okay? That being said, we are living in a day and an age, we just read it, one of the signs in 2 Timothy is that people will be just trying to distort and twist and shape the scripture based around their own belief systems, whatever they wanna hear. Now, here's the thing. If it's all digital, think about this. I want you to think with me. I'm not a doomsday guy, but I want you to think with me. If everything's digital, how easy would it be to distort the scripture and you not even know? How easy would it be for chat GBT? Some of y'all, you know, you'd be writing a whole essays on chat GBT. You know what I'm saying? How easy would it be for them just to twist the scripture just a little bit, AI just to twist it just a little bit, and you read it every day and it's the same thing you've always read. And I'm telling you, we're living in days and age where the word is gonna continue. It's not gonna get better. The word's gonna continue to be attacked. Why? Because it contradicts lifestyles and people don't like their lifestyles being, being uh, uh, conflicted with. And so here's what we must do as Christians. You should own a Bible yourself. Why? Because we don't know the date, we don't know the time, we don't know the age. It, uh, but I do believe this. In our lifetime or our children's lifetimes, the, wor- the people in the world will begin to distort and twist scripture and change what it says. So if that's the case, we should be people that are diligent and we should be people that say, okay, we're gonna be people that own Bibles. Why? Because if they do start distorting it digitally, you, you got it on paper. Why? Because we never want to just bow down. Hear me. We want, never want to just bow down to what culture tells us to do. We can't stand on truth if the truth has been distorted. So every person in the room online, you should own a personal Bible. If you do not, you can't afford it. You can come talk to me today. We will buy you a Bible this week. I believe in this. I'm not a doomsday guy. I'm not saying the world's crashing to burning. I'm not that guy. In fact, I'm the opposite. I think God, the best days are ahead for us. But I will say it's important that we would be, the Bible says, prepared. And so guess what? We're gonna prepare like it's the worst. We're gonna believe for the best. Commit to reading the Bible every day. You should own a personal Bible. Uh, start in the Gospel of John. If you're just starting the scripture and wanting to read, where do you read? People ask me all the time, where do I start? Start in the book of John. And I'll, I'll say this, once you read through John, it's just the lifestyle, it's the life of Jesus. It's the crucifixion, it's the resurrection. It's a great book to start on. And then I would tell you to go into Acts, the book of Acts. That's where I would start, okay? And then uh, use the soap method. Very quickly, I'm closing, I promise. Use the soap method. Give you the four, the, the S-O-A-P. One S is start in the scripture. O is observe. Observe it, meaning this. Don't just read it and take one scripture and take it out of context. Observe the whole context of what is being said. It's so easy to read one verse and think, oh, well, that just must be what it means. No, you got to read the whole text of what's happening. So read the whole chapter or a couple chapters and read what's happening, what's being said, so you can not take it out of context, but you can put it in context so that you can really walk and live the way that you want to live. Make sense? A, apply it. Apply it to your life. What's one practical, and this is what I personally do, What's one practical thing that you can walk away from today to walk it out and apply it to your life today? So let's say you're reading uh, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, okay? The practical question I would ask myself, and I answer it, you should answer it for yourself. What's one thing I can do today to be more patient? 
and then answer it for yourself. Again, this is practical application. Now, here's the cool thing about doing that. Now, for the next 23 hours, you have something that you're mentally thinking about. You're allowing the word to get into your heart, but you're also applying it. So now you're aware of what you read. You didn't just read it. You're aware of it. Now you're looking for ways to apply the scripture to your life. P, pray. Pray the scripture over your life. Pray the, pray the verses over your life. Speak them out loud. And then lastly, confess God's word. Confess God's word. Again, pray it over it. Speak it over it. There's something about the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Speak the word of God over your life. Speak the promises of God over your life because again, they're weapons that can be used to encourage us, to strengthen us, to challenge us, and to be the people God has called us to be. If we're really gonna be his disciples, if we're really gonna be people that are truly students of the word, then let us be people that understand and know it's not just an old book. It's not just irrelevant. It's not just based on biblical times, but it's a book that is alive and active, and it is the very words of God. Let's be a people that don't just hear it, but let's be people that really walk it out and do it, that walk it out and apply it in our lives. Let's be ones that say, we want it to transform us from the inside out. I don't want to just read a page to fill up my head, but I want to read it, and I want to be transformed in my heart to change and shift the direction of my life. Let's be ones that say we're not going to shape the world. To shape the word, excuse me. We're not going to filter it and shape it to make us feel better about the things that we're doing and the struggles that we're walking through. Let's really look at through the word, our life through the word, the lens of the word. Let's filter it through everything in life is based around the word. Why? Because we know this. The word of God has full authority in our lives. If we're really going to be true disciples, taking our lives from just believing in him and really walking out our faith and being disciples of Christ, then we are people that live in his word. We're people that are students of the word. And the great thing about being a student of his word is that no matter what our age, no matter how long we've read the Bible, no matter if we just started or we've been reading for 50 years, the word is alive and active and it's always wanting to teach us. God's always wanting to use it to teach us to continue to be who he's called us to be and also to give us the life that we're looking for, that life of satisfaction and fulfillment and a reach, richer, deeper relationship with God. Let's be a people that are students of his word. Amen. Can we pray? Would you stand with me as we close today? God, I thank you.